Yo, 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 it's your boy here, Dustin Riccio, D. Rich. I'm here on Army of Crime, and today we're talking about M.W. by Osama Tezuka and Superman colon the movie by Richard Donner. Isn't that right, Matt? My co-host, Matthew, he is here. That is accurate. It is indeed accurate. Matt, are you a uh, fan of Osama Tezuka? I will be honest and say that I am largely ignorant of him, although I know who he is. Not the even Astro Boy? Of... I have really never read Astro Boy. I know he invented Astro Boy, and he's considered the grand pooba of Japanese manga, largely the extent of my knowledge. About Superman colon the movie? I have seen that before. I rewatched it for the purpose of this podcast. It's not something I've seen like a bunch of times. I think I've seen it once or twice before. How do you feel about colon? Probably not a thing people do anymore, but I suppose it, since it was the first first uh, big budget mainstream splash across all the movie screens in the world superhero movie, maybe that's justified. Okay. Well, let's uh, get to it. We'll we'll talk about punctuation, colons, semicolons. We're really going to break it down very punctuation centric episode we got here so right. you uh, could also have used a parenthesis superman parentheses the movie i mean honestly you could have just went superman straight superman, up superman asterisk smaller print the movie yeah superman tm or just call it the movie you know the movie parentheses superman yeah i think first though we're going to talk about uh good old mw is that right? Yes, M.W., the Japanese manga about, not even sure how to summarize it, about a lot of things. A lot of stuff happens. It's a rich tapestry. It is a rich tapestry. Let's uh, get over to that here. So, uh, I do not claim to be an Osama Tezuka expert by any means. I have read a few things, and I know that... M.W. was something that he did later in his career in, in a, I think, a conscious effort to sort of branch out and broaden his reputation beyond the more children-oriented stories like Astro Boy that had kind of like made him a world-renowned figure in comics. So he came up with M.W., which is a story about... Uh, chemical. How would you even describe it? Well, basically, so it's about. Okay, yeah, it's about a Catholic priest who is in love with a cross-dressing serial killer, whose ability, who was rendered a sociopath by an exposure to a secret chemical weapon developed by America. In America, developed in an American Air Force base in Japan, and this chemical weapon is called MW. So I had no idea what this was about before I read it for the first time. Okay. And there's a lot of things that happen in this. It's a lot of comic. What did you? What was your overall? Did you? Did you dig MW, or were you like? Go back to Astro Boy, old man. I liked it. Yeah, it's a lot to take in. I mean, you've got the awful things happening here. So it's a look at evil, I guess, is the would be the shortest version of putting it. Is that 
you're looking at evil. Yes, the character uh, and, of Yuchi, as I recall, his name being, uh, he is he rapes and murders all sorts of uh, innocent people and seems to take the sort of like nihilistic glee in in a just uh, carving a path of destruction through society. Um, though, as the story goes on, there there starts to be sort of a method to the madness. Um, in terms of his creation or his uh, origin story, I guess, through the exposure to this uh, weapon, MW. Yeah, so at first, I was a little put off because he's going around doing all these awful things. I mean, he murders a child within the first eight pages or something and just kind of goes from there. And I was kind of put off because I was like, okay, is this just a story about a guy doing evil things and getting away with it? Like, why would I read that? That at some level that just seems kind of weird. There's definitely a commentary about society because he's the main character. And I think it's safe to say he is the main character, Yuki. Or you, you, you pronounce it Yuchi. I don't know which is. I do not claim to be an expert on Japanese pr- name pronunciation. I'm going to call him, I'm going to call him Yuki because that's how my mind read it. So there seems to be some kind of commentary on how he's able to manipulate society's expectations hypocrisies like social political corruption so he's a person who's evil and like you said he becomes evil and this is revealed very early on by exposure to a chemical weapon so on some level his his evilness isn't really his fault or his choice i don't know how far we want to lean into that but it's that's definitely something that plays into it and then he's able to manipulate sort of society's rules against itself so the fact that he's able to go without being caught while he does all these evil things seems to indict society and its various problems at the same time. So it isn't just watching some guy go around do evil things and, you know, kind of wondering, like, what's the point of this? Which was my fear when I read the first, like, 10 pages and he murders, like, a kid and steals a bunch of money and gets away with it. Yeah, the opening scene is... He is kind of renowned in Japan as the serial kidnapper, and he chokes like a 10-year-old boy to death um, and then runs off with all this money. But um, like you were saying, there is a, um, a political aspect to this that especially becomes more prominent later in the story. And the political aspect of it is the one that I actually found to be most interesting Um and it's hard not to read this, too. And uh, Hiroshima is explicitly mentioned a couple of times. And for some reason, they always say Nation X instead of America. I don't know why, because it's clearly America that he's referencing. But it's it's hard not to see the release of MW as some kind of parallel to the American uh, bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And also, as the comic goes on, you sort of see the subordinate relationship that Japan in post-World War II had to the United States and the way that the United States, you know, in the story, they're basically engineering and storing chemical weapons in Japan for use in Vietnam. And as the story goes on, you know, the, the Japanese police led by this guy with this like crazy hair who's like the lead cop who's like investigating the story finds himself basically unable to do anything about the larger, you know, crimes being committed because he does not have like jurisdiction on an American air force base. So, you know, when you talk about the character 
being created by MW, you know, you could definitely make the case that, you know, the greater crime here that created this character who then runs rampant through society was one that was committed by America and the American government in collusion with the Japanese government who was like willingly subordinate to, you know, American imperial interests. Yeah, and it I sort of presents Japan as like a vassal state of the United States. Yeah. And he also seems to have a commentary on organized religion as well as like gender standards. As you mentioned, Yuki is able to convincingly pass as a woman at will, seemingly, which probably makes more sense in drawing form than it would in like a live action or something. But people are looking, they're not looking for a woman you know, responsible for crimes and different things. And then, of course, there's the the homoerotic angle, let's call it. And I yeah. wasn't sure how to feel about that at times because I feel like at times it almost veers into homophobia because I'm not sure if the fact that the main character is, like, using his manly wiles to seduce one of the other characters to stay out of trouble... Yeah, you know, at points it almost seemed like Yuki is the embodiment of like the really harmful sort of like stereotype as like the gay man or like a bisexual man who's just like totally sexually voracious and also completely like amoral. Like basically Mike Pence's like worst nightmare um, is kind of like what this character is. And then you have like the Catholic priest character who is in love with Yuki and also feels bad because he was part of like a gang that attempted to kidnap him for ransom. And that's why he was exposed to the MW. So he also feels like it's kind of his fault. Garai is a, is an interesting character. I, the commentary there seems to be that his religion is like holding him back from doing what the audience all knows is the right thing to do. Right, partially because he feels like Yuki's predicament is his fault, and then also partially because he feels like, as the priest who hears the confession, it's not his place to, like, go to the police and be like, hey, hey, this guy's, like, a serial killer. Like, he believes it's kind of up to God to, like, render that kind of judgment, um, which I think is kind of odd logic. But uh, at times yeah. there's the, the angle that, the fact that the priest seems to have homosexual feelings towards Yuki, the fact that society puts a negative spin on that kind of shackles him, in which case the commentary seems to be more society's negative view of gay men is allowing yeah. evil to happen. But like you said, it also seems to veer kind of into that other more negative stereotype of like the gay man is like the a moral sexual predator and like with the cross-dressing is it the only cross-dressing character in the thing is the the only character who is a man who can dress like a woman i mean it is the is the bad guy is the evil person there's a lot to dissect here there's a lot going on well i should also mention that there's a point where someone tries to blackmail father garai by selling pictures of him in like a gay sex club to a tabloid and the woman who runs the tabloid basically refuses to play ball with this. And then it shows her like going home to her girlfriend. And she's like, you'll never believe, you know, the good deed that I committed today, which I felt like was maybe 
Tezuka tipping his hand a little bit and showing that, like, you know, actually this isn't about how, like, the, uh, you know, the fact that these characters are, like, two men who are attracted to each other is not the reason why there's, like, tormented evil happening. Like, that scene, uh, to me, seemed kind of like him, you know, because, and also throughout the comic, people mention frequently that, like, in other countries, you know, two men being in a relationship is not considered a big deal. It's kind of more like, like he was sort of pointing out that Japan's views on this are maybe backwards. And then that one scene with the uh, tabloid editor, I felt like was maybe him tipping his hand that he's acknowledging that, like, you know, these characters are not evil because, you know, they have same-sex attraction. It just happens to be these, like, evil, tormented characters who are also, you know, gay or bisexual. Um, yeah, and that that double standard or that negative view that society has is able to be manipulated by Yuki to get things, to get what he wants. Like, he basically manipulates society's problems. If society didn't have so many problems, he wouldn't be able to get away with things, I think is the, yeah, is what it tries to try is what it leads you to. And I think it's also probably worth pointing out that there's a, there is a distinctly Japanese element to this when they, because he's the younger brother. And according to all the other characters, the spitting image of the famous Kabuki actor who makes his living by portraying female characters on stage as a man um, so there is sort of like, it's kind of like updating that kind of like uh, gender role play scenarios, I think a little bit. Um, like that's, I guess, the distinctly Japanese angle on it. Um, but the one thing I was going to, I wanted to ask you about, and you said that you're not as familiar with Tezuka, so you probably did not catch that the um, character of the bar owner who gets his dick bit off by a dog uh, is an exact it looks exactly the same as the character of Mr. Mustachio from Astro Boy. I did not know that, although I did note that that character is visually distinct compared to the other characters. Yeah, you know, he, um, that's kind of, I wanted to ask, see, get, read your thoughts on that too, because, you know, Tezuka was mainly known for, for lack of a better term, a sort of like uh, child-friendly or cartoony style. Um, and in this comic, he often seems to be working in a different style than that. He tries to be working in the more like alternative manga style with more like detailed, you know, for lack of a better term, like realistic uh, characters and facial expressions. But there are, you know, instances where I guess the old Tezuka is seen as well. And like that character is one example um, so I guess I was curious to know, like, what did you think about this sort of like updated style? And did you feel like there was a, you know, a clash between like the visual style in the book? Um, I didn't think there was a clash. I noticed that it shifted from time to time. I didn't think it was a problem or anything. I think, I mean, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't a complaint. I did notice it, that it does shift a style and I did not know what the sort of explanation that you just gave behind it was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it didn't uh, bother me either. The, the only thing that I feel like was sort of a clash in between his uh, purposeful style shift was sort of like the pacing and the dialogue, because I feel like that, you know, in, in the comic, people are, no, are known to like uh, pronounce things with 
exclamation points and it moves like very quickly and like conversationally um i don't know if you know what i'm talking if you kind of pick up what i'm saying but like sort of the uh you know like characters talk aloud to themselves and like yell things and it's very like quickly and the dialogue is all like beats that are like very propulsive to the story it's um even though some of like the drawing style is meant to be more like naturalistic it's clear that like the storytelling overall and the dialogue seems more uh cartoony did you um notice that at all or was that just me i guess i did not have a thought on those i did have the thought when i finished reading it that it probably did not really justify its length it's quite a tome when you have it sitting on your on your desk and at the end of the day i feel like the story really kicks into high gear about halfway through yugi goes through a lot of permutations he's like a serial kidnapper he's a serial murderer he rapes some people he puts off some bombs he has terrorist attacks i feel like the didn't really justify the you know text that i had it is probably worth noting that it was you know not written as a single volume so it would have been serialized in individual chapters um so that's maybe why the uh, length and i know previously it had been published in three volumes instead of one uh, larger like 600 page volume but yeah the ultimate story ends up being about yuki trying to get a hold of the mw and they say in the story he says that he's basically slowly dying from his previous exposure to it and he wants to take the rest of the world with him using the uh like by mass producing this american-made chemical weapon and that kind of kicks off in like the second half of the book um so overall did you give me your give me your overall sum up on mw did you uh, it's kind of you said you hadn't read any tozuka before and that's sort of a yeah. weird place to start because it's kind of the uh the opposite of the sort of thing that he's more well known for but did you enjoy it overall did you dig it did you want to make you want to read uh, astro boy or i did like it it's at times almost kind of frustrating because um, there's so much happening and there's obviously there's a lot of awful stuff that happens and you're reading it and you keep wanting the characters like Father Garai, you want him to figure some stuff out and get his act together. So at times it's almost kind of frustrating. I suppose that's intentional because he's wrestling with these sort of problems, which kind of leads me to another weird thought about, about Father Garai is him and Yuki have this relationship that goes back to like when Yuki is a child and I don't know how old they're supposed to be, but they have some kind of sexual relationship when he's like 12 and father Garai is like 18, which seems like a rape scenario. And I'm not sure if that's how it's meant to be read in the context of the story, something else to chew on. Overall, it's it is interesting. I did like the artwork. I'm not a huge expert on manga or what have you, but I did like the artwork. I like the mix between the photorealistic and it kind of veers into cartoony in a couple places. I did like the story. It's interesting. Yeah, it's a lot to chew on. There's a lot that happens. I guess I did have some kind of kind of minor sort of quibbles, like I mentioned. Yeah, I liked it overall too. I would have some minor issues as well. Just uh, and maybe this is just me, but I, I and I mentioned this before, but I feel like the way he paces out each page um, is sometimes kind of like feels hurry to me in the sense that 
it just seems to like jump between one exclamation to another sort of and i feel like they're um for this though how weighty and serious the subject matter often is maybe to let it like breathe a little bit more like let the emotions breathe a little bit more and i feel like maybe that is a symptom of how he's normally used to doing like kids adventure books so maybe that kind of like you know rush from one crazy thing to the next and from one crazy exclamation to the next kind of would be more fitting in that um but like you said that's kind of a minor quibble i think overall this was a really good comic and i would definitely um especially i think towards the end once it starts to get really political i think it got really interesting so yeah overall i think sounds like we both uh enjoyed this Next, I believe we are going to talk about Superman the movie. And you had mentioned that you had a scorching hot surface of the sun take on Superman the movie. So why don't you uh, get that in the barrel and fire it at us here? Well, so I watched this movie. Uh, I've seen it a long time ago. I have not watched it again in quite a while. And... It is a, I think it is a good movie. It is a good movie. Um, Christopher Reeve as Superman is basically perfect. Pretty much all the actors, I think, are great. Uh, the score, obviously, by John Williams is is great. And I, there actually is a lot of really nice uh, shots in this movie, a lot of nice compositions. Um, there's a shot of Krypton being destroyed. It almost looks like a Renaissance painting. You have, like, this red lighting and, like, people are falling. It looks like some kind of vision of hell or, like, the shot where Superman pushes the the um san andreas fault back together so there's a lot of really nice imagery so there's a lot to like about this movie i just feel like there's a lot of really strange storytelling choices that are used and it's not an issue of the film being dated because i feel like these are issues that still pop up in movies all the time now but i I feel like it does hurt the movie or kind of drags it down some for example did you check your watch at all to see how long it was before Superman actually shows up in this movie? No, is he? It's about 50 minutes in. About 50 minutes in is when Clark Kent, Christopher Reeve as Clark Kent and Superman shows up. So it's quite a ways into the movie before we even get to Superman. Yeah, that's true. But I guess for me, I'm not sure that that's that's a problem because I feel like the opening... Um, first of all, I would say that this take is not as hot as I was led to believe. There, there's uh, more. Okay. There's more on the end. Okay. So, but the movie is very episodic. It gives you kind of these like discrete, um, little, uh, subplots, I guess. And the first being on Krypton or Marlon Brando would say Krypton. And then the second being, uh, young Clark Kent growing up in Kansas and then after that, it gets to, like you said, like around the 50-minute point, it gets to Metropolis and Christopher Reeve as Clark Kent and Superman. Um, and I I feel like those first two segments are both really strong, so it doesn't necessarily bother me. Um, but what else did you, what what else is your... This kind of leads leads me into the, the, the second part of this is the film... This whole the whole take on Superman that it gives, or the whole version of Superman, 
is really just not a version that interests me all that much. So the stuff with Krypton and Jor-El and all that, I just feel like that's not really the strong point of Superman. That's really not the point of Superman that people should take away. Like Ma and Pa Ken to me are significantly more interesting than Jor-El or Krypton. I feel like you could literally just take Krypton out of this movie. And the only thing that you would lose, I mean, you lose Marlon Brando, I guess, and he's good. But most of it is just setting stuff up for the sequel. I feel like you could really just edit Jor-El out of this movie. And probably a lot of people would not agree with that. But I, I feel like the, the core of Superman is Clark Kent and the Daily Planet and Smallville. It goes into this version of Superman, I think, where Superman is like a god figure, right? Superman is like Jesus. And Jor-El is like God. And he's like the son of God. And he's like sending him to Earth to save humanity. And Superman as... A literal god, which I think someone in the movie at one point refers to him as a god, is just really not a take. It's not my it's not my favorite take on Superman. I just, I don't think it's bad. I don't find it as I think the humanness of him being from a small town in America is significantly more interesting. Yeah, I get what you're saying, and I I think this movie might actually be the origin of the Superman as Jesus metaphor. I could be wrong, but I think it's one of the writers introduced that into the script um and there's like a whole bunch of people who worked on the script i can't remember which one it was supposed to be but um i mean i'm not a fan of that stuff either necessarily but i do enjoy the um the krypton stuff just as like i think it's interesting the way the movie like the discrete uh episodes of the film each have their own kind of stylistic tendencies like the film starts out as this really trippy science fiction story where he uses all these like flashing like swirling lights on the screen to represent you know like space travel and then when superman like goes to his training it's almost like some kind of like insane head trip or something um so while i agree that like yeah, I mean, I think that because this movie was shot at the same time as the sequel and like the, that stuff features more prominently in the sequel. So you're probably right that this is all there to set up the sequel. But then, of course, that didn't work out. But anyway, I feel like um, like to me, I think that stuff works because of how interesting it is just on its own visually and the way it gives you that like, you start with this like trippy science fiction story that's really kind of um, fascinating to look at on its own. And then it moves into this, um, the Kansas, the Smallville story where you get, uh, he uses uh, the director, Richard Donner, he uses a lot of um, very like intentionally kind of like folksy Americana imagery with like the farm and the small town. But it's so like earnest and sincere that it really works effectively and it doesn't come off as like hokey. So I get what you're saying, but I feel like for me, it kind of works just on its own as these little like episodic you know little like pieces that it builds and it's both like you know these two 25 minute chunks that are basically like their own separate films that get you into the story i do like that they i do like that they do lean into some of the science fiction elements especially at the beginning or like the sequence where he's traveling through the different galaxies and it's all these uh practical effects like the 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 stars stuff the the you know like this I don't know what you'd call it, a space escape or something. Yeah. That's all really good. And I do like, yeah, that they lean into more of the science fiction elements. I have, uh, that is stuff that I like. I just, there's a, it reminds me of this quote from a foreword to a Conan the Barbarian collection. And the, the author, and I don't remember who wrote the foreword. That would be a good thing to look up. But 
he talks about how Conan, Conan, of course, is from Samaria, right? And he points out that Robert E. Howard never shows us Samaria because we know everything we need to know about it from looking at Conan. And I feel like the same is true of Superman. I feel like we really don't need to do much. We know everything we need to know about Krypton from Superman. And, you know, I would, if I want to pull, um, pull like a nerd credential, if you go all the way back to Golden Age Superman, there's basically zero Krypton material. They go straight into him and he's at the Daily Planet. Like that's Superman begins by being at the Daily Planet and being Clark Kent. Now, that doesn't mean like we should all copy the Golden Age stories because there's a lot of weird stuff in there. But I think that's that's how I see it more. The heart of the character is Clark Kent as at the Daily Planet. And then Smallville is the background. That's fair. I mean, in defense of the filmmakers, I guess, by 1977, I mean, Krypton had been featured pretty heavily in different various Superman comics by then. Um, right. So it's not like it was just a weird thing on their part. Um, right. No, I'm, I'm just saying like that the me, me saying that is not like I'm it's not like a modern look at old thing. I'm saying like if you go back, that that was that was more of the the standard take at at one point so it's not it's not that i'm trying to fit like um a modern read into an older thing i'm saying there is there's precedent for what sure. i'm saying another weird thing actually i was going to say that the the plot of the movie very much is on this weird bridge between the silver age and the bronze age because lex luthor is not the evil businessman so today lex luthor is evil businessman lex luthor which is i would say probably one of the best updates to any like DC character post-crisis, right, would be Lex Luthor becoming the evil businessman. So in this, he's like this Professor Moriarty character who lives in, like, his underground lair, and he has, like, gadgets and gizmos and things. Right. I'm not going to blame that. I mean, that's not anybody's fault when they made the movie because that was the version of Lex Luthor. But that part of it does feel a little dated, I think, looking at it from from a modern watcher, from a modern perspective. I guess I'm not sure that I would agree that it's dated, but I do feel that all of the Lex Luthor stuff to me is by far the weakest part of the film, especially because, I mean, you have Lex Luthor and his two annoying sidekicks and Godus is like the worst character in the history of cinema. And then you have Miss Tessmacher who is also kind of worthless and just, he just like yells at her all the time. And those three characters are basically played exclusively for comic relief. And you know, in contrast to sort of like the heady, um, sincere story that we had gotten up to this point, uh, Lex Luthor's scheme that he rolls out is completely idiotic. It makes no sense. And I think that basically everything involving Lex Luthor and his two stupid sidekicks feels completely at odds with the rest of the film. You know, like yeah. his plans always involve him and his dumb sidekicks like dressing up in like costumes and like doing stupid things and you know it's like all all those sequences are just like comic relief like mugging for the camera nonsense and then it's like the film remembers that it needs to have some kind of like climax or some kind of like third act so it's like oh yeah Lex Luthor is gonna shoot some nukes at California for some reason I really like this movie overall and I think there's a lot of really nice things about it, but I feel like I think everything involving Lex Luthor and his two stupid sidekicks and his two stupid plan and his stupid plan uh, is bad and just feels completely 
like welded in from a completely different film like the tone is just totally different it's just stupid yeah that's where i get the that bridge period because it came out i looked this up it came out in 78 so normally the bronze age is said to have started around the 70s uh and but obviously it would have been in production before that and be based on stuff before that and it's very much we could call it quote-unquote silver age goofiness I think when it's there's much more of like a comic relief and things don't have to quote unquote make sense. Like the the ending, of course, makes no sense whatsoever. But it comes back to like the Silver Age where Superman could travel backwards and forwards through time whenever he wanted, and you didn't have to explain anything. Like he could just be like, "I'm gonna go back in time now," whoop, and then he'd come back into the future present. You know? Yeah, you know it's interesting because I actually feel like Superman three, which most people hate is a better film than this. And I think the reason for that is because it maintains a consistently goofy tone throughout. Whereas I feel like in this film, they play it pretty straight up until you get to the villains and their dumb plot. And then it just gets really like extremely silly. Right. Um, That's why I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't trying to diss on like that silver age thing, but I think the movie is caught in a weird transitional period where it's trying to do, two things and that's i think what you meant by the inconsistent tone is because you have this really uh earnest was a good word for superman is saving the earth and jor-el is god and he sends his son to earth yeah and then you get the bumbling the bumbling sidekick and he can't remember what numbers to punch into the computer and whatever yeah he's uh otis is just terrible i just hate otis he's so dumb and like why would Lex Luthor, if he's such a genius, why does he hire the world's two stupidest sidekicks? That's what well, I that's the whole, why, why doesn't Silver Age Lex Luthor have billions of dollars in the bank if he's like such a genius? It's just a, it's just a thing. It's like a, it's like a convention. Although you think he could afford more, at the very least, if not better sidekicks, more sidekicks. He's pulling off his master plan with two people. Yeah, and why? And you think no one would come to investigate all the guy that happens to own all the land? That like just by coincidence he happens to own all this land. Like after he his plan goes off, no one would come and investigate. The U.S. government wouldn't stop and pay him a visit. Well, and I think that's yeah part of how his plan that he rolls out is incredibly stupid and is just like this dumb like left field like I'm gonna blow up the moon kind of stupidness, which again I think feels out of place with the rest of the film. Like, yeah, you talk about Luther's place in the movie is weird. I think, um, I mean, Gene Hackman does a good job as Lex Luthor. If we cut out his sidekicks, I think you have, and just have Gene Hackman. I mean, I guess they needed someone for him to talk to. It was maybe the only reason why he has sidekicks. Yeah, and I wonder if they decided that up to now, the, or, you know, that the film didn't have enough jokes, so we should put in some jokes. But yeah, yeah, I mean, it's. I don't think it's the actor's fault because I think uh, Gene Hackman and then Ned Beatty as uh, Otis. I think they all do a good job. I mean, clearly this is how they decided they want them to play this scene was as like this comic relief wackiness thing, um, which doesn't right. work. I I do like the the opening credits are kind of awesome. So. I think overall we'd both say that this movie is good, but Luthor and his two stupid sidekicks are awful and should all be uh, loaded into a rocket and shot into the sun. Yeah, and then my 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 thing about I don't like this version of Superman with Krypton and God. Krypton is heaven and Jor-El is God, and that whole thing. It's just not my it's not my not my cup of tea. You know, I feel like Ma and Pa Kent are more important to Superman than Jor-El. Jor-El doesn't really have anything to do with it when you think about it. 
Well, he saved Superman. Okay, yes, he saved Superman, so this is important. But Ma and Pa Kent are the ones that teach him, like, how to be a good person. Right, right. You know, what's interesting, though, too, is with the Jesus metaphor, I feel like people who came after this, like, really leaned into that a lot more because while it's there in the movie, once, you know, Clark gets to Metropolis, they don't really get into it all that much. It seems like when you watch, like, Man of Steel, he's just, like, hammering the Jesus thing over and over again. Um, and while it is in this movie, too, it feels like that, um, like what you're saying, of the emphasis on Jordel and Krypton seems to get even more prominent as, you know, in other. Yeah, and Superman Returns hammers the Jesus thing home, too, a lot. Right, right, yeah. I, I will jump straight into the recommendation. I would recommend basically just a Superman take that I feel like matches more kind of how I see the character, which would be Superman Birthright by Mark Wade, which leans a lot more into the human angle. And you meet his uh, his mom more and his sort of background. And it kind of meshes the different versions of him together. Like, why is he a reporter? How does he learn use his powers? And obviously there's a lot of versions in year one type of stories about Superman. But I would recommend Superman Birthright by Mark Wade because I feel like it does a good job of sort of coalescing a lot of those threads together and yeah it's a much more human take on the character than the let's call him super Jesus space yeah. Jesus version yeah uh, yeah I've read Birthright I remember really liking it that's definitely up there I'm going to recommend a film I had mentioned um, Superman 3 which I actually think is the best Superman film and it's even though most people hate it but it maintains a consistently silly tone throughout like a Silver Age comic but the director of that film Richard Lester is a really interesting uh, filmmaker and he directed an all-time great film so this is sort of a tangential connection but he Richard Lester made an all-time great film uh, called Petulia starring George C. Scott and Julie Christie and this is a film that I would recommend to anyone to watch. What's so fascinating about it is sort of a domestic drama between sort of a romance between a divorcing uh, man and then a woman who's kind of like trapped in this sort of loveless marriage. But the editing in the film is really kind of experimental and it is constantly like cutting around and like backwards and forwards in time it uh, really like puts you in the mind and in the feelings of these two characters who are sort of trying to make something work that doesn't really make sense. And it's just sort of like scattershot moving you in and around how they feel and all the things that are happening to them with, you know, less of a linear plot logic and more of a interior emotional logic. So that is the film Petulia. Well, that's all we have for today. You can find us on Twitter and tell us that we're great or tell us that we suck. I am at Dustin44444. So horrible Twitter username. You can tell me that too if you want. And my co-host Matt is on Twitter at Army of Crime. 
Yeah, just let us know what you thought. If you have questions, comments, criticisms, things you think we overlooked, uh, really just, just shoot it all out there, and, and we'll uh, we'll try and get back to you if we can. Sounds good. Stay alive out there, people. Remember, kids, don't punch a police horse. You get in serious trouble, even though it seems funny. <laughs>